Thanks for checking out The Bridge Podcast, a ministry to St. Francis and the surrounding community. It's not a mistake you are here. We pray God speaks to you today. Service times are 9.30 and 11 a.m. Sunday mornings. Feel free to check us out at sfbridge.org. Have a life-giving week. ...comes up with a plan. He says, tell them you're my sister, then they'll treat me well. Awesome, right? What a guy. Thanks, Hubs. So they uh, go to Egypt, and Pharaoh hears about this gorgeous woman who apparently is sister to this Abram guy, takes her into his home and makes her his wife. Not so good, right? But uh, God kind of starts doing some stuff, and the Egyptians, they break out in all kinds of diseases, have all kinds of problems, and somehow Pharaoh becomes aware that he has been deceived. And he freaks out. Now, we don't know how long they've been here, but we do know that it is long enough that Abram has acquired camels, cattle, donkeys, sheep, and servants. I'm pretty sure he got the better end of the deal, right? So they give him some more parting gifts and say, get out of here because we don't want this sin on us anymore, and send him packing and on his way. So at this time, he has acquired a lot of stuff a lot of things of value at that time, and so has his nephew Lot. And there's just not enough grass to support both of them anymore. So Abram says, we need to part ways. You pick. If you want to go that way, I'll go this way. If you want to go this way, I'll go that way. You pick. And so they part ways. As soon as they part ways, God stops and talks to Abram. And he says, I am going to make you the father of a great nation. He says, look at the stars, look at the sand. You see how many there are. You will have offspring like that, and you will be the father of this great nation. And Abram is like, well, I appreciate all the blessing and all the good stuff, but I have no kids, which means all this stuff I've acquired is just going to go to one of my servants. And God says, no, not so. You're going to have an offspring. So some time passes, and they, um, I want to make sure I'm not going to miss a detail for you, uh, he doesn't end up fathering a child through Sarai. She can't conceive. So Sarai, his wife, comes up with a genius idea. He, she says, take my servant Hagar that I picked up in Egypt and be with her. And then when she has a child, it will be like creating a family for me. Does anybody think this is a good idea? I mean, this is like the beginning, like the first soap opera ever created, right? So this happens. And he can, she conceives a child, and of course, issues break out, right? So now Hagar is upset with Sarai, so then Sarai is mad because her servant isn't treating her well, and now there's some chick fighting going on in the home front. Not so good. So, 13 years later, Abraham is now 99 years old, and his son Ishmael is 13. And God talks to him again. And God says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and you're going to have all these children, and you will be blessed. And Abram is like, how about through Ishmael, my son? And God is like, no, that was not my plan. My plan is for Sarai to have a child. And Abram is like laughing, like ridiculous, because now he is 99 and she is 89, not looking like a good option if they haven't had a child up until this point. But that's what God tells him. And he says, we're going to make this agreement. I am agreeing to bless you and give you all of this awesome stuff. In exchange, you have to be circumcised. 
though, at age 99, Abram walks home. Oh, I should slow down. He also says, because of this agreement, you are going to be changed. So at this point, he makes Abram have the name Abraham. And he tells him Sarai will now be called Sarah. So their names have changed as a result of this contract that they're going into with God. And so he goes home at age 99, grabs his 13-year-old son Ishmael and every other male in the house and has them circumcised. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? Can you imagine how happy camp was for a couple of days? Not so great. But a year later, just as he was told by the Lord, his wife Sarah gave birth to a son at age 90. And they named that son Isaac, and that son grew. He also was circumcised to fall under this covenant. And he grew and he became older. And Ishmael, the older son, started kind of having an issue with the cute little kid running around. And so he'd start picking on the kid. And Sarah kind of got upset like every mama bear should and said, no way is that child going to share in the inheritance. It will be my child's. Send them away. So now Abraham is stuck between a rock and a hard place, but thankfully the Lord tells him what to do. In spite of his love for his son Ishmael, God says you need to do what Sarah is asking and send him away. I will take care of him. But this covenant I made is about Isaac. So we don't know exactly how old Ishmael is at that time, but somewhere over 13, they pack up a donkey and he and his mom go away into the desert. You can follow that story on your own. It's got all kinds of interesting stuff. But then we're left with Isaac. And then the Bible says in chapter 22, where we're going to pick up the story, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, some of you have never heard this story, so I want you, I'm going to just read it through, and I want you to see what God is yelling at you as we read it together. Some of you have read this a million times, and if you are like me, you start glossing over it. Yeah, yeah, I know what, what the end is. But I want you to slow down and watch for some details you might not have caught before. Genesis chapter 22 says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So much there. We could spend weeks just dissecting this. So I challenge you, go home and sometime this week reread it and see what else God points out to you. But on this Father's Day, there are three things that I want to highlight. Three things that I believe are messages for the dads in this room, for the men in this room. Maybe one of them is for you and the other two don't apply today. But i got to cover all three because I think each one is going to hit someone. But that doesn't mean we women have to tune out because it will also apply to us. The first thing is this. Be the man and lead. When Pastor Chris and I first started talking about planting a church in St. Francis, that was like one of the heartbeats of the father that I kept hearing was his desire to see the men in this community rise up and be the men that God called them to be and to lead. Now, there are a couple of things that we see in this section. First of all, Abraham had servants, many of them, yet he was the one cutting the wood and loading the donkey. He wasn't shrinking from the duty. He was the one raising the hand to slay his son. He was not afraid to lead. He did not do like I would have done and said, Okay, Lord, let me fast and pray about this. Let me lay a wool on the ground and see if the dew is on it in the morning and see if it's dry the next day and, and let the traffic light turn green if you really want me to go ahead with this decision. He woke up early the next morning and obeyed. Isn't that beautiful? I also noticed that he didn't talk to Sarah about it. At least not that we're aware of. Probably a good thing, right? Because <laughs> Mama Bear would have risen up again and there would have been trouble in the camp. I don't want you women to, to get mad and send me hate email in a moment here, but the Bible tells us that man is supposed to be the head. In um, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, it says, But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. The buck has to stop somewhere. And I know for me, in my marriage early on, I was a girl who loved Jesus from the age of two. And my husband didn't meet Jesus until he was 17. And so early on in our very young marriage, it was sometimes very difficult for the controlling Miss Perfect to relinquish to my husband the ability to follow God and make those choices. Because I was sure I knew what was better. And though he is respectful of me, and there are times when he consults me, he tells me his plans, we pray about things together, there are also times when he must just obey the voice of God and not listen to mine. Because as much as I hate to admit it, mine sometimes can be the voice of the enemy trying to tug him the other direction. So empower the men around us. 
to hear the voice of God and obey it. They are to lead, but they're to know whose voice and whose orders they're following. Not just anyone's. Reminds me of a story of a young boy who was in a missionary family, and they lived near a jungle that presented a lot of dangers. The father was very insightful. And early on, they played a game where he would tell him to freeze, and the little boy would just freeze. It started as a game, in theory, but it was really training. And one day when the boy was playing at the edge of the yard near the jungle, a snake came in. And the father saw the snake and didn't have enough time to run and rescue that child. The child could not have run fast enough to get away. So the dad said, freeze. And the child froze in his spot. At that point, he saw the snake. And every inch of him I can only imagine was to run. Everything in our human instinct is self-preservation. Run, flee. But he obeyed his father's voice. And that snake went back into the jungle. And that daddy scooped him up in his arms. Make sure that you know how to obey that right voice. I have a unique relationship with Jesus, as probably many of you do, because he's just like that. He's creative and unique with each of us. When I was like high school, college age, I did a lot of shopping at Target and clothing stores and a lot of browsing because I didn't have children tugging at my leg. I don't know if any of you ever had those luxuries. But I had a period of my life when I would walk and I would see like a shirt that had fallen off of the hanger. And I would hear this little voice tell me, pick it up and hang it back up. And I would say, I do not work for Target. There are enough employees standing around board, they can pick it up. And I would start walking away until I was a couple sections away and God was tugging at me so hard that I had to walk back over, pick up the darn shirt, hang it up, and then we could move on. And it happened a lot. Pick up that piece of garbage, Heather. I didn't put that there. Pick it up. And eventually I realized it wasn't for nothing. God was wanting me to hear his voice and to recognize it and to know that I was going to obey it. He's not going to ask me to take my son up to the mountain to sacrifice him if he doesn't think I'm going to obey him in the little things. And if I know how to hear his voice in the little things, then he can trust me with his voice in the bigger things. I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I just have so many stories I feel like I need to share. And I am not Pastor Chris, but I just, they just speak to me. I read about a family who had four children, nope, six children, in a minivan driving down the road. And a metal object came up, uh, seared or cut or poked, whatever, into the gas tank. And the van exploded. The mother, the father, and one of the six children survived the explosion. Your heart breaks, right? But the part that, that caught my attention the most was the woman turned to her husband at some point in this healing process and said, God has spent our entire lives preparing us for this. I believe God spent Abraham's entire life preparing him for that. I believe God spends a lot of time investing in our hearts, preparing us to hear his voice and to follow it. 
If you've come to an intro dinner at our home before, you've heard Pastor Chris share his version of how the Bridge Church started, in which I am the bad guy, right? Because the wife tugs the other direction. But when we first were told by the Lord it was time to come plant a church in St. Francis, I did dig in my heels a little bit because I am not a pastor's wife. I don't do the, like, keyboard, happy, first lady, smile and wave. That is not me. And my husband is not a church planter. We don't go knocking on doors saying, would you like to come to our church? That's just not us. But a couple of months into the church after we planted, I remember talking to God, and all of a sudden it was like my eyes were open. And I realized God had spent our lives preparing us for that. We love St. Francis. We have always loved St. Francis. And my husband had the privilege of jobs in the past that had him touching every area of church ministry. He was in charge of the facility. He was in charge of the youth program. He was in charge of a children's program. He was an associate. He did funerals. He did hospital visits. He had done all of that stuff, which made him more prepared to think about how to oversee all of that stuff. So what is it in your life that God has worked on and trained you and prepared you? And what is it that he's calling you to do that you feel like, "Mm, I don't think I can go there yet. But he's calling you so he thinks you're ready. You need to rise up and be that man. Number two, take your kids with you. Isaac knew that they were going to make a sacrifice. He said, we have fire, we have wood, we have a knife. Where's the sacrifice? He knew what was going on. He obviously had gone through something kind of like this with his father before. I also think it's very interesting that Isaac, though we don't know exactly how old he is, he must be able-bodied if he's hauling the wood for his father. He didn't seem to fight his old man. His dad was able to bind him and lay him on that altar. Does that speak to us that maybe Isaac either had faith in his father or also faith in his father's God? You know, they spent three days traveling to that spot. We have road tripped with our kids a lot. And after three days of riding in the minivan with them, there are some of them that I would be tempted to leave behind on the mountain. Right? But I'm thinking that these three days for him were a little bit more meaningful, where everything he said probably broke his heart a little bit more. And I'm guessing that if I were in his shoes, I would have spent those three days praying, but also preparing my child, teaching him, feeding thoughts into him so that he would be ready for what was going to be in his future too. In um, Deuteronomy chapter 11 at verse 18, it says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. I don't know if you pay attention to what you teach your kids or not. 
I was not one of those really good mothers like some I knew who had their children memorize the presidents in order or state capitals or something like that early on. And we never did anything super structured when they were like those preschool years. But I will confess, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say this, uh, one of my sons in his free time for fun has a notebook in which he writes numbers. He started at one and he counts. And he is in the tens of thousands. And when he is bored, he grabs the notebook and he writes numbers. Embarrassing, right? Even for the math teacher mother. But I do know that even though we never did like worksheets at home or anything like that, anything official, I would give them math problems to do in their heads in the car as we were driving. Or when we were at the grocery store, we would talk about how much something costs or at the garage sale or things just naturally equated back to numbers because that's the way I think. And even now we try to do that with the kids with things of the Lord, right? I mean, yeah, my kids are pastor's kids, so maybe they have a little bit of a worse dose. But I was talking to another mother about how our kids like to play Bible trivia driving down the car, thinking maybe this is a pastor's kid kind of thing. Their kids do it too, and they're mechanics kids, not pastor's kids. But the different, or the thing that's the same is that both sets of families have a love for Jesus. And so that's just what you want to do. It's important to us to talk to our kids about what's going on in life, not just the good stuff. You know, you hesitate to tell them about when there's trouble, but if they don't know what hardship you're dealing with, and that we're praying about this, or what thing you're trying to figure out, and that you're seeking God for answers, then they can't celebrate as fully with you when God answers that. But if you're willing to be a little bit vulnerable and share with them, like, this is hard, but God has got, God has got this, and we're going to pray about it and trust Him, then when God comes through, how much more can they celebrate? Think about Isaac. His whole life, I'm sure he was told about Abraham and all the things that they experienced. But how much more did it mean to him when his dad had the knife to his throat and he hears a voice from heaven and his dad stops and there is the ram when his dad had said the Lord would provide the sacrifice and then he sees it. What does that do for that child's soul? And I know some of you don't have kids. Some of you have grandkids. Some of you have nieces. It's still the same. And it doesn't have to be like those freaky, weird, we're going to stop and talk about Jesus. Like, no. It's If it's a part of your life, then just share it and let it become a part of their life. I was honored, like I said, to love Jesus since the age of two. My parents didn't know the Lord until I was about two. And then he was a natural part of our world. We thanked him for our food. We prayed for people when they were in trouble. I saw how he provided for us. So it was not even a big deal for me to trust him. I know early in our marriage when Chris had only known Jesus for like four or five years and I had known him for almost 20, when you hit a hard spot, for me trusting Jesus was like breathing because that was what my mom and dad had shown me. And I so want that for my children. Number three, God will provide. He's asking you to do it. He's going to provide. He is so faithful. Abraham got a new name. Sarah got a new name. But at this moment, 
Abraham named that place, God will provide. Isn't that beautiful? There are a lot of different scholarly opinions about the story and and why Abraham was willing to go through with it. We can make our guesses. If I were Abraham, I would be trying to figure out how God was going to solve this problem. Like, well, maybe if I kill him, God will raise him from the dead. Or maybe as I'm ready to kill him, God will stop me. Or maybe as I'm ready to kill him, he will strike out, grab the knife, and kill me. So then everybody's okay. I mean, I'm old anyway. You know, like I would start trying to figure out how God could fix this. Right? Maybe I'm the only one that tries to give God ideas on how to fix things. But I do know that Abraham didn't really know how it was going to turn out. But he did know that God had promised him that he would be the father of a great nation, that his children would be as numerous as the stars in the sand. So if that is true, and if it's supposed to be through Sarah, then either Isaac is going to make it through this, or Abraham's going to be a dad at age 200 or something. God's got that. He's going to work it out. So sometimes we just need to cling to what we do know. Because circumstances and emotions and fear can make us wonder and question. Don't let that distract you. Keep your eyes fixed on the things that you know are true. Here's a series of scriptures I'm going to put up. And as we're talking about teaching your children, these are good things. Memorize them. Write them on your doorposts, on your walls. Talk about them together. Find scriptures that totally hit what God is needing to do in your heart. Things that he has promised you that you need to cling to. But here are a couple. Jeremiah 29.11 For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster. To give you hope, future, excuse me, and a hope. Matthew 11.28-29 Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some of us need that. Some of us just need rest. We need to feel that weight lifted. Isaiah 40, 29-31 says, He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. In Philippians 4.19, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. The Bible is full of them. We could have read his promises all morning. If you don't know how to find one that you need to hear, hunt me down and I will help you. But cling to those things that we know are true. I know that my husband loves Jesus and hears his voice. So when we're in the middle of an argument or a disagreement, instead of looking at the chaos that's stemming, cling to those things that I know, that God can change my heart, God can change his heart, God can work out those details. Right? I know 
that I am called to love my children and to train them in his ways. Don't worry about the how. Just cling to what you know and trust that God's got the how figured out. I um, have one bonus. Dads, moms, sisters, brothers, you could do worse. Really. I mean, I don't know if you're ever like me, but there are days the kids are finally in bed and I hit my bed and I'm just like, I just blew it today. I yelled when I shouldn't have. I didn't put my energy where I should have. I am tired and I am crabby and I am not a good mom and I am not a good wife and it was bad. And you know, there are days when my husband will drive me nuts, like dirty laundry left on the floor, didn't put his dirty dishes away, you know, like these things happen, right? We are human. But it could be worse. I am pretty sure, as far as I'm aware, no one in the room has told a pharaoh that his wife is his sister and sent her to live with him. Right? And and technically, I I should say, um, they actually were technically brother and sister. They had the same dad, but two different moms. So it wasn't really lying. Don't do it. So, I am also pretty sure that no one in the room has taken their son, put them on a donkey with some water, and sent them off into the desert to fend for themselves. Right? I mean, Abraham, father of the year award, right? And then you take your other son with a knife and you're ready to kill him. I mean, this is great dad material, and yet he is like a great historical father. So when you want to scream at your husband or your wife, or you want to scream at yourself because you feel like you're failing, you could do worse. Could be worse. Um, I'd like the band to come up because I'd like us to take a moment to pray for our dads. I just really want to emphasize that I believe that God has put something amazing in each one of you. And sometimes we compare ourselves to somebody else or to our own standards and we're not good enough. But God has called you to be exactly who you are. So be that. Don't hesitate. Men, stand up and be the man. I know sometimes we women whine about it, but really that's what we want. We want you to be able to fully broaden your shoulders and hold your head high and make those decisions that God is asking you to make and to lead. So men, do it. And women, we need to shut up and let them. At least I do. And and bring your kids along. Don't leave them behind. Let them see the struggles. Let them see the triumphs. You know, sometimes this little guy in my front row right now, my six-year-old, humbles his mother when one of the kids is like, I'm not feeling well, and I go and grab the thermometer and the Tylenol, and he says, Mom, we should pray for him. Right. Right. Um, what I would like this morning is if anyone who is a father in the room, if you could just stand for a moment. I just want to pray for you, and then the rest of us will stand too. But I just want to acknowledge those dads. First of all, can we please give them a hand for being amazing?
This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.